0: Temper tantrums are by no means limited to two and three year olds, are they? Uh, they are on display with professional athletes of all uh, sizes and styles of the game. And we, we see that um, amazingly on display uh, week after week. Whenever you're watching a sporting event, inevitably it's going to happen. Um, it's amazing to me, you know, these athletes, football, baseball, basketball, they're paid millions of dollars. Uh, And you'd think they would be, just on that alone, humanly speaking, you'd think they'd be the happiest people on earth, right? Uh, I mean, they've got it made, and yet, nope, nope, uh, nothing really ever keeps them happy. And so we see that uh, over and over again. It's pitiful, it's pathetic, it's a terrible uh, display. And temper tantrums are something that everybody has to deal with. Uh, All of us adults, uh, no matter how together we may seem, uh, we're all prone to our own version of temper tantrums from time to time, right? We just, we call it different things. We, we call it being stressed out or being under a lot of pressure, you know, or, or having, um, all these obligations that weigh us down. And, and that's how we kind of excuse our bad behavior sometimes. Or, I'm just really, really tired. You know, as if that makes it all okay uh, when we fume and fuss in our own little way. And we might as well be a two or three year old on the floor banging their fist, I want it my way. And we're all, all prone to do that. Even uh, people who should uh, be portraying uh, a Christ like life, a, a God like character, because people that, that know God should kind of resemble God, right? And unfortunately, even in the, the most godly of examples, uh, we see sometimes epic temper tantrums. People that are in the service of God, who know Him and should know better, uh, still display themselves, sometimes in epic fashion, right? And uh, that includes prophets, it includes prophets and people who speak for God, and um, That is exactly what we're going to read about as we wrap up our study of Jonah. Jonah, more than a fish story. And uh, as we come to a close, uh, we're going to see that Jonah, while displaying certain aspects of of repentance and a willingness to now be used of God uh, to preach and proclaim the message he was originally supposed to, we see that uh, that didn't really stick we're going to see that that really didn't come full circle for Jonah. In fact, he came full circle in a negative way, uh, kind of back to the attitude that he had at the very beginning. So let's jump in together to Jonah chapter 4 as we wrap up this study, this look at Jonah and his, his life uh, and, and really what is true of him as a person, uh, true of his heart, true of his mind, true of his perspective. And it's not good things. It's not good things that were true of him. And hopefully, we've already learned from him, and hopefully, we'll continue to learn from him as we refer back to him as we go forward in our lives. So, Jonah Jonah, chapter 4. Before I jump into this verse, let's just remember what took place previous to this. We looked at this last week. Uh, In the last chapter, we saw an entire city, an entire city full of people, um, totally humbling themselves and and saying you know what you're right we have lived wickedly we have been evil we've been full of violence and injustice and and we need we need the the kindness of god we need his mercy we need his grace let's let's go ahead and humble ourselves let's repent and maybe just maybe he'll he'll hold back on the judgment that we do deserve and we see a whole city repenting and turning to god to save them and time to celebrate right i mean that's that's incredible. I mean, that's one of the biggest revivals that you ever have record of. It's time to throw a party. Woo! But instead of that, here's what we read, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it, that, that turning of Nineveh, that repentance, that turning to God, that responding to his message, but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Now, the Bible does not mince words. It just really doesn't ever do that. And this right here is is one example of our English language just not really doing the thought uh, justice, what's really going on here. So, uh, in verse 1, where it says, uh, it greatly displeased Jonah, you know, and he became angry, uh, what it actually is communicating in the Hebrew, which this was originally written in, uh, is that Jonah... Um, found God's response of grace and mercy to Nineveh as exceedingly evil. Let that sink in for a second. I mean, that's astounding. Jonah, who was to preach against the evil of Nineveh, Jonah, who was to proclaim to Nineveh, you are exceedingly evil before God. And, And then when they responded to that, Jonah now points his, his fist up at God and says, what you are doing, God, is exceedingly evil. I mean, ugh, jaw drop moment here. Here is Jonah, prophet of the Lord, speaking for him, calling out the evil of the people of Nineveh, actually has the audacity to turn to God and say, your response of mercy and grace, your not giving them justly what they deserve, that's unjust, God, and you are unjust, and your your whole response is, is just as evil as they have been. Wow. Whew. I, I mean, the depth that Jonah has now sunk to uh, after being in the depths... With the whale being out of the depths, he's sunk back to the depths now of his own personal despair. Um, he, he's, he's just full of, of animosity and bitterness. I mean, you'd think he would be ecstatic that, that Nineveh, the most evil, wicked people on the face of the earth, that they have actually responded to his message as really as limited as it was, as weak As the message probably was, they still responded. It was an act of God. It was miraculous work by the Spirit of God to change hearts and minds and lives. You'd think He would, He would be overjoyed. I mean, it would be like me as a pastor if on a Sunday morning I had, let's say, a third of, of you guys, of the congregation. Just running out of their seats, falling down on the, on the ground, weeping and, and lifting, you know, their, their praise to God, acknowledging who He is, giving their lives to God. And it'd be like me saying, well, that's not at all what I wanted to happen. You know, it'd be like me being upset that people responded to the message of God, to the work of God, me being angry that He actually saved lives. I mean, what would that say about me? Not very much. Wouldn't speak very highly. That's exactly what's going on with Jonah. And he, he had been previously full of praise um, at being spared personally from, from God's judgment, which he deserved for running from God and rebelling against his message. But Jonah wanted that to, to only be true for him. He wanted God's grace and mercy to be kept all to himself. He didn't want any of the, of the Ninevites to experience that. Have you ever been there you ever been so angry at certain people or or so full of, of hate toward people or so bitter toward the way certain people acted that secretly without anybody else knowing it, between you and God, because He always knows, you actually hoped that they would get exactly what they deserved. Ever been there? Probably. And it's not a good place to be. It's a very dark place to be. Uh, It it does nobody any favors. It's it's not a win at all. It's it's a miserable state of existence. But that's exactly where Jonah was. And look at at verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, "'Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country?' Therefore, in order to forestall this, in other words, your, to forestall your grace and your mercy coming down on Nineveh, responding to them, accepting their repentance, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and one who relents concerning calamity. Remember, Jonah, in the fish, prayed to the Lord God and said, you know what, I I was wrong. I did rebel against you. I have turned away from you. I've been full of bitterness, but now I I see what I need to do, and I see that you are a God of mercy and compassion and love, and and I know that that any sort of idolatry in the heart is going to just keep uh, people from your steadfast love, and that includes me, because I've I've had my own version of idolatry. God, I've I've built up myself and my agenda and my bitterness higher than you. But he he repented of that, and he said, "I know that I will I will return to you. I will look again at your temple, and I will offer sacrifices of praise to you." And, and God responded to him right in a, in a big way by actually causing the fish to vomit him out. And then he says, "All right, now that you're out." I've accepted your prayer, Jonah. Now I want you to go and proclaim the original message to these people so that they will respond to me and so that I can respond to their repentance. And it all looked good. It all sounded good. But clearly, God's mercy and grace had not totally transformed Jonah's heart. Because he admitted here in this verse that the the reason for his original rebellion was all so that Nineveh's second chance with God could be at the very least delayed and maybe, just maybe, the time would run out. You know, maybe if Jonah, who was tasked with being the messenger of grace, the messenger of repentance, yeah, to warn about judgment and to speak to judgment, but it was more than that. It was God's judgment will fall on you, Nineveh, for your wickedness and your evil if you don't respond to him, if you don't repent. So his message was one of repentance as well. But Jonah is saying here, I knew this would happen. I knew if I went to Nineveh like I was supposed to, that you, God, because you're just this way, you would accept their response. No matter how wicked and evil they've been, no matter how far they've been from you, God, you're the type of God that responds when people repent, no matter who they are, what they've done, where they've been. I knew you were like that. And instead of praising God for it, he's blaming God for it. And he's thinking, if I can just go as far away from God and this call as I can get, if I can delay this message, maybe the time will run out. And even if they repent, maybe God will say, Bzz, too late. You know, it's, it's like, a, uh, like a close basketball game, right, when it's down to the final seconds you know and that and the last shot is taken and it's going up and it's going up and it feels like slow motion that's why in all the movies the sports movies they always make that slow mo you know and it's going it's going and the other team is waiting with breathless anticipation just hoping hoping that, that if it goes in it's going to be too late and that buzzer will sound that even though the shot's going in it didn't beat the clock you know and they're just they're hoping and 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 agonizing over that and it goes in, but it didn't beat the clock. And you hear the buzzer before it goes through the net. That's what Jonah is, is waiting for and hoping for and wanting to happen. That even if they respond too late, basket didn't count. That's his whole hope here. Uh, that's, that's his mindset. Now let's, uh, let's keep reading in the text. Verse three, As a result of him blaming God for his grace and his mercy, which is just incredible if you think about it. I mean, blaming God for being gracious. (laughs) Blaming God for being merciful. Blaming God for being compassionate and responding to repentance. Not wanting what he experienced to be given anybody else. It's just astounding. Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Oh me, oh my, I just want to die. That's what Jonah's saying here. The Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Jonah, I get you're angry. You think you're, you're good with that? I mean, does that make sense for you to be angry? I mean, do you have a right here to be angry with me on this, Jonah? And Jonah didn't respond. He's like, I don't really know what to say to that, but I think I'm going to just stay angry. Verse 5. Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So he makes himself, you know, a little, a little seat, a little viewing party. You know, if he had popcorn there, he'd probably be eating the popcorn, just waiting and watching. Did, did the time run out? Did they beat the buzzer? What's going to happen? Is, is judgment going to fall? Oh, I hope it falls. Oh, is, is it coming? Let's see. Is the, is the sky clouding over? Is fire and brim still getting ready to rain? I better have a shelter in case it does. He's just hoping and waiting. It's twisted and it's awful. It's dark. I hope judgment still happens. I hope judgment still happens. And then God comes on display once more with an amazing display of of grace and of mercy and of compassion on Jonah and for Jonah again. It's incredible. Look at verse six. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head. (laughs) Think about that. Here's God still being nice to Jonah. Jonah's out there waiting for judgment to fall after blaming God for, for withholding judgment and just you know, To keep him cool and comfortable, he makes this, this plant come over and shade him over the, from the sun and, and, and give him comfort from the heat that he's out there in when he didn't even have to be. He's only out there because he doesn't want to be anywhere near the Ninevites. I mean, that's how much he hates them. It's like, okay, I did my job. I said my my thing. What you wanted me to say, God, I know you're not going to do what I want, so I might as well just leave, and I'll just hold out a little bit of hope to, to make sure uh, that maybe I'm not missing something. Maybe maybe they are hopeless, and maybe you'll still give them what I want you to give them. And yet God still comes to, to Jonah with kindness and with provision to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. See the the contrast? He was extremely angry and displeased about God's graciousness and mercy and compassion toward Nineveh. He was extremely displeased that they responded to God's message through him, responded to repentance. He's blaming God for being just as evil as they are. But now that he has a little plant... Now he has a little shade. Boy, everything's great. Life is good. I've got a shade over my head. Don't really care about any of those people, whether they live or die, but, man, I'm happy because I've got some shade. (laughs) And then you can't ever say that God doesn't have a sense of humor. Because look at verse 7. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind. You, you see a theme here of God appointing, God ordaining, God orchestrating? Friends, God's sovereignty is, is always able to be seen, and it's always on display down to the smallest detail. God's sovereignty is not limited to the big and grand and, and huge God's sovereignty is something that, that goes down to the smallest detail of our lives. And we can draw strength from that. We can draw encouragement and hope and comfort from that. Nothing escapes from his plan. So God appointed the scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul <laughs> to die, saying, death is better than to me, than life. Oh me, oh my, I just want to die. Poor, poor Jonah. Then God said to Jonah, verse 9, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, Yes, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And there's a little t- temper tantrum again, you know. <laughs> That's what we see. That's, that's what you'd have, we would have heard if we were there. You know, we would have heard that, I'm sure. I mean, just, I don't know, maybe he was rolling around in the, in the dust even, you know, hitting his fist. I just want to die. I don't have a plan anymore. And I'm just so hot and you're not going to kill the Ninevites. <laughs> just, you know, he's, he's really having an epic meltdown here. Um, he's showing himself to be uh, really quite, quite the person. And uh, definitely not what you would hope from a, a prophet of God at this point. Um, I mean, what, what is with Jonah, right? Wow! I mean, what is going on beneath the surface? That's a question that we, we can ask here. I mean, for him to act and respond in, in all of this way, I mean, for him to show himself in this, this way and, and to display himself like this, what is, is really the issue? What's going down deep? Uh, beneath his, beneath the surface and in his heart and, and, and at, the very, at the very core of his being. Um, I mean, this is, this is right back to the Jonah of chapter 1 that we saw when he's fleeing. He's come full circle in, in a very negative way. In some ways, this is even worse than what we see in, in chapter 1. Well, I think it, it all comes down to this. I think that his, his previous repentance you can put in quotes and his um obedience quote quote failed to really address the heart of the matter which was the heart of the man i really think all that he did in responding to to god the way he did um as good as it sounded as good as it seemed as good as it appeared it really didn't hit the heart of the issue with jonah which was the heart of of the man his heart Because here's the thing, here's what this all shows us about Jonah. This display, his reaction in chapter 1, I mean, everything we've seen about him, it really points to this, that Jonah's devotion to God was dependent on him doing things Jonah's way. Jonah's devotion to God was dependent, or you could even say contingent, on him doing things Jonah's way. As long as God, um, you know, met Jonah's expectations, as long as he operated according to how Jonah thought he should, as long as things went the way Jonah wanted them to go, he was great with God. He was good with him. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll praise you, God. I'll serve you, God. I'll proclaim whatever message you want, as long as it's according to my timetable, my expectations, my desires, my take on the matter. As long as you line up, God, with what I want and with what I think to be good, we're good. So his devotion was very, very surface level. And it was very fleeting. See, he wanted a God that he could manipulate and control. That's what Jonah really wanted. That's the kind of God he wanted, a God he could put in his own little box, a God he could take out when it was convenient, a God that would just suit all of his fancy. That's the type of God Jonah really wanted, and that's the type of God he was interested in serving. And Jonah, like so many people uh, in our world and in the church today, like you and me from time to time was really a slave of self-righteousness. He was a slave of of a false sense of superiority. You know, he felt like like he and, and all of his fellow Israelites, because they were God's chosen people after all, they had the market on God's grace. They had the market on God's favor. They had the market cornered on his compassion. And it shouldn't be given to anybody else, least of all the Ninevites. So he felt this false sense of superiority. And he was also a slave of this self-serving, artificial version of God. It's a bad place to be. Bad place to be. And that's what he obviously was basing his whole identity on. That's what we see. Obviously, Jonah's entire... um, purpose and and just his whole essence, his whole identity was all based on all of those things, on this this horrible self-righteousness, on this superiority complex, on this artificial version and image of God that he had created and built up. And when God didn't line up with those things, when God didn't match all that, when the mirage faded, Jonah and his faith once again unraveled. We see that all through history. We see that all through the Bible. That's, that's what was true of the Pharisees. That's why they didn't accept Jesus, because he didn't line up with their view of what the Messiah should be. He didn't match their image. He didn't represent what they expected and assumed him to represent. And so when he didn't line up with, with their view, and when he threatened their world, they were done with him. You know, off with his head. And that's what we see really on display with Jonah. And we, it's easy for us to look at Jonah and, and see this picture of foolishness and arrogance and sin. And we, we see all that, right? When we, when we look at this example of Jonah, when we see the story of his life in these, these chapters and pages, we see all those things. And it's easy to see. But, mirror. Mirror on the wall i 'm a lot like Jonah after all that 's really what we have to we have to be willing to say as we see uh, jonah 's jonah 's attitude and his actions um, it's it 's what 's true of, of each of us. I mean we all have to step away from the text and step away from what we naturally respond uh, like as we see Jonah, and we have to take a very painful look in the mirror, right? And we have to see ourselves in Jonah. I mean, because that's what Jonah's story really is, right? Jonah's story in this whole passage that we look at, um, and really all of Scripture, it's what this is. All of the Bible is this big mirror, that you see yourself in, no matter where you're at in the Bible. Uh, that's why the Bible is, is always so powerful. It's why it's always so relevant. It's, it's why it's so impacting and it's why it's so uncomfortable. It's why the Word of God, for some people, has no draw. It, it, it's something that they easily discount and discard and reject because it's painful. Nobody likes to see their own reflection, not really. Because it shows all your flaws. It shows all that you still have to work on. It shows all of your discrepancies. It shows that no matter what you might think of yourself, the mirror never lies. And that's what the Word of God always does. It points out to us our glaring weaknesses. It points out to us how much we do really need grace especially when it comes to something like Jonah, it shows us, yeah, we might as well be named Jonah. We might as well insert our name there because, I mean, just think about it. Think about it for a second. How easy is it um, to to find ourselves focusing on, on making sure life goes the way we want it to on our terms to make sure we get our desires in life? To make sure everything we want comes to fruition. Rather than or, or more than focusing on what God wants to do in and through our lives. How easy is that for us? I mean, if we're honest, we would say, yeah, that's, that's true of me every single day. Where I'm, I'm just so hung up on or what I want for me and for my life and what I want life to be like. And I'm, I'm always busy fashioning and, and molding this version of life that I want. More than we focus on, God, what do you want for my life? What do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do through my life? That's really where Jonah was. And that's where we find ourselves, if we're honest. How easy is it to, to um, wrap up our, our whole identity in what we do instead of what God has done for us in Christ? I mean, how easy is that? If we take a step back and we're honest, we'll have to all admit, yeah, super easy. That's, I do that all the time. I define myself by what I do. Or I define myself by what I don't do. And that's why I'm so miserable. And that's why I, I don't have the joy of Christ in my life. Because I'm, I'm constantly defining myself by what I didn't do when I should have. Right? Or we define ourselves by all the things we do, and we get this inflated view of ourselves, puff up, puff up, puff up, and it's inevitable for all the air to be let out when we realize, "Uh uh-oh, I'm not as great and grand as I thought I was. Or we define our worth and our value and our purpose by the good things we're able to do for God even, you know? And we define our, our identity, we wrap up our identity in things and in, in acts and in work, rather than defining our identity in Him, you know, in, in Jesus and, and in our relationship with Him. I, I've been there. It, it's a bad place to get. Uh, last week I told you about the the church uh, in Virginia, in Covington, the Faith Baptist Church, there that um, that I didn't want to go to, right? And and last minute we were invited, and so we went, and I knew it was going to be the church for us. When we uh, since we, we moved there and we were looking for a new church, and as soon as I got in there, I was like, yep, this is the one. And then shortly after being there, I told you last week how I was stopped in the parking lot by the pastor, telling me he really wanted me to consider joining the staff there, even though I had previously told God I didn't want to be uh, you know in ministry anymore, or I had told you that last week. Well, it was a great time of ministry there, many years there, wonderful church, wonderful people, and... About, uh, I guess it was, what, the seventh year, maybe? I know, I can't remember. Time is a blur. But seventh year of being there, um, God began to lead me and Leanne, our family, uh, to really consider church planting. Um, I was... The, uh, the co-pastor of the church. And the whole idea was uh, when the, the senior pastor who was aging, who had already had a heart attack and heart issues, that he was going to be retiring. And I was right there in place, you know, um, doing just as much preaching as him and leading the church with him, uh, a, a true co-pastor dynamic. It was great. And then whenever he actually retired, I would already be in place. Makes sense, Right. Um, But what God began to do is lead me away from that, even though it all made sense and it looked great and it was comfortable and it was all just set for me. God began leading me away from that to think about moving back here uh, to our hometown to start a church. And I wrestled and I agonized. And finally, I knew that that's what God wanted for us to do as a family. So I went to the leadership of the church and I told them that. I was like, look, guys, I know that there's this plan in place and I'm supposed to just, you know, take right over. It's a natural, seamless thing. It'd be no transition at all. I get that. But God is just not giving us peace. And here's what he's leading us to do. And I told them, I'm not in any hurry, though. Like, this is down the road. I see, you know, us being here a, a couple more years even before we really launch into doing that. But they they told me, uh, well, sorry, long story short, if you're not intent to do this, if you're, your whole plan is not to continue with this this plan that we've developed, if if you really don't feel like you're going to be here long term, then we need to go ahead and move on from you. We need to go ahead and show you the door, and get someone else in that is willing to be here long-term and to step into that plan. And let me tell you, I was absolutely devastated. It, it rocked me to my core. I became, I, I went from being hurt, all the stages of grief, really, went from being hurt to being confused to being bitter and angry, and, and all of that just was boiling up and boiling up, and I went into a a deep depression, and I went into a very powerful period of just anger and discontentment. But what God did through that, in His grace and His love, is He showed me, He revealed to me, that my identity was being anchored to what I was doing And what my position or or title was or what I was finding satisfaction in by way of of that ministry more than it was tied to or or wrapped up in or anchored to Him and my relationship with Him. He revealed that to me, showed that to me in a powerful way, and, and then that broke me all over again. But I needed to be broken. Because not until we realize that, uh uh-oh, my identity is wrapped up in something other than God, and not until that's torn away from us, that that false identity, not until that's ripped out of us, and as painful as it is, only then, in that place of brokenness and being stripped of all that we have been pursuing as far as our identity, only then can we start to actually find our identity in God. And that's what it takes. It takes sometimes an agonizing, painful process to destroy all that we've been focusing on, all that we've been wrapping up our our worth and our purpose and our our validation in. And God is gracious and loving enough to do that for us, even though it hurts. Just like what we do with our kids when they're hurt. You know, sometimes the treatment is, is painful and it's messy, but we love them too much to not do it, right? Because we know they're going to be better in the long run. That's what God does with us. And, and here's what we all have to realize, no matter where you are in your relationship with God, no matter how young or old you are, you need to hear this, you need to believe this, you need to remember this, this needs to kind of be a mantra over your life and my life, and it's the truth that will always be truth, and it's this, that if our identity, listen, everybody, if our identity is is anchored in Jesus, it will always be Secure if our identity is anchored in Jesus, it will always be secure. But, but the opposite of that is true as well. If our identity is anchored to anything other than Jesus and our relationship with him, it will always be flimsy, no matter how it appears to be. There's all kinds of things in our lives that we chase after and we pursue. There's all kinds of things we, we can wrap our identity in if we're not careful. And the good things even. I'm not talking about just bad things. I mean good things that, that are great by themselves. But if we wrap our identity in them, inevitably they will fail. They will let us down and then we will be totally a wreck. Because any identity source other than Jesus Christ and our relationship with him is just too flimsy to build a foundation on. And that's what Jonah was experiencing here. Jonah was was seeing, um, I believe, I I think that's what God was doing through all this, was showing him, Jonah, your whole identity is, is built up on and wrapped up in things that are never going to come through for you. Jonah, look at your heart. Look at your heart. Look at where it is. Look at what you've been focusing on. Look at, look at what your response is to me being compassionate and gracious like I was to you, to, or, to all these people who need it. Look at your attitude. And let that show you, Jonah, where all of your identity is, is being found in. And really what that all means is that Jonah wasn't the hero of the story. Jonah wasn't the hero of the story. God was. God was the hero of Jonah's story. And this whole story of Jonah was really all about God pursuing a wayward prophet, a bitter servant of his, pursuing and pursuing in grace and mercy toward him to show him where his heart was at so that his heart could finally be right, to show him where his identity was being uh, uh, wrapped up in an anchor to so that he could remove that and finally anchor his identity where it needed to be, which was in God Himself. And that's what God is doing here. And look at what, what, uh, what God says in verses 10 through 11 as we wrap up this text. Remember, Jonah said, Yes, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. In verse 10, the, then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. In other words, you didn't do anything for this plant. This isn't something you did. I did for you, and you've only had it for like 24 hours. It's gone, and yet you, you were just a wreck over that being gone. Verse 11, should I not, Jonah, have compassion on Nineveh? the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, because sin blinds and confuses, as well as many animals. Should I not have compassion, Jonah, on people that, though being wicked and evil, still have the image of God over their lives, who are still fearfully and wonderfully made, Jonah? Should I not have compassion on them, and yet you're torn up over a plant, Jonah? Where's your heart at? Where's your identity here? And that's how the book ends. We don't know how Jonah responds. I would like to think, and I would hope, that even though it's not recorded, his his response was finally what it needed to be. I would like to think that he said, "You know what, God, you're right. Wow. I don't know. We won't know, at least until we get to heaven, and maybe not even then." But what it, what it does is it shows us that apart from God's grace through Christ, we too are, are hopeless. That's what all this shows us. Apart from God's grace through Christ, we too are, are hopeless. And we too uh, are absolutely dependent on God's grace through Christ because we were enemies of God apart from Christ just like Nineveh was. But God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. And this is all a reminder of that. And as we remember that and think about that, that we are absolutely destitute apart from God's grace through Christ, absolutely hopeless, that we don't have a prayer, literally, apart from Christ, what that should do for us, what that, should, that should generate in our heart compassion for the lost like God has. And it should give us this desire. We should want to go give them the gospel that we have been rescued by. That's what should happen in our hearts. As we look at Jonah's example, as we look at his story, as we see ourselves there, as the mirror of God's word is put in front of our lives, we should say, oh God, thank you for your grace for me. And, and I can't, possibly keep this to myself. I've got to go give your gospel to all those people that are in need of rescue like I was. May that be true of us. May that be our story, that we're consumed with compassion for the lost like our God is. Amen? All right, join with me in prayer. Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the story of Jonah I thank you that in it we see you on display on every page. This story is not, it's not even really so much about Nineveh. It's about where Jonah's life was, it's about where his heart was, it's about where his mindset was, it's about what he was finding his identity in his own pride, his own national ethnicity, his own. Anger and bitterness towards the people of Nineveh. His whole identity was wrapped up in those things. And, and Father, so really the story of Jonah is about you relentlessly pursuing him in that false identity, in that, that place of, of, of having a really bad heart and a bad mindset. And you didn't give up on him and, and you graciously tried to reveal that to him so that he could respond to you. And you even used Nineveh's response as a great big visual aid and object lesson for Jonah. And Father, in all of that, as we look at that and read that, you really want us to see ourselves. You want us to take a step back and evaluate, where am I with you, God? Where is my heart for the lost? How am I viewing the mission that I have as one of yours to go out and preach the gospel to every creature? You want us to take a step back and say, am I limiting my view of of God and His grace and the power of the gospel to only a certain select few people or am I willing to believe that His grace is, is sufficient and his, the power of His gospel is powerful enough to break through every barrier and any group of people on earth? That's what you're calling us to, to think about and ask and evaluate. So Father, as we have seen ourselves in Jonah, as painful as it's been to see that, I pray that by Your Spirit we would respond to what you've shown us, to what you're speaking to us, to what you're revealing about us. Let us be broken if that is needed. Let us be stripped away from every source of identity that is not rooted and anchored in your Son, Jesus. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.